Welcome to Forward Progress. We are live for the Hammer Betting Network. I'm George Silfidis, and we have a great show lined up today, including the never-ending Jonathan Taylor saga, a breakout star for the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, and we dissect a team that might be getting a little too much love this offseason. Before we get into that, I want to remind everybody about our sponsor, Pinnacle, who is the world's sharpest sports book and available to bettors in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Everyday competitive odds, bet smart, bet pinnacle, must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. Also want to remind you that every Wednesday we'll be live 2 o'clock from now until the season starting. Do yourself a favor, set notifications. You don't want to miss this content every week. Also, we're doing a weekly Q&A show for Forward Progress. So if you have any betting-related questions, ask us in the comments, tweet us, or email us at forwardprogress at thehammer.bet. Let me bring in my panel of guests to discuss a bunch of topics in the NFL right now. Uh, joining me in the top left, cor- top right corner is Jeff Feinberg. Below him is the hitman. And to the side of him is Fabian Zuma. And guys, I want to start off with uh, this Colts saga, which has been dragging on with Jonathan Taylor. The latest thing, he's left the team to treat an ankle injury now. It, man, I'm capable of being a petty person, so I can identify when two hard-headed people are driving this. Who do you think blinks first, the Colts owner Jim Ursay or Jonathan Taylor? It, it's got to be Jonathan Taylor if they don't trade him. I mean, he just has to play. It's that simple because he's not going to get a season of um, – he's not going to be able to hit free agency when he wants to hit if he doesn't play this season. He's not going to get an accrued season. So it has to be Jonathan Taylor. Um, there's been a lot of rumblings from a lot of Colts writers. I know Stephen Holder was one of the guys that was out there kind of signaling the people before this whole situation blew up that there was some problems between the two. And he's been kind of now sending out rumblings about like a trade as a possibility. And you've seen some mm. other writers such as Rap Sheet are kind of, they're not outright reporting, hey, they're putting them on the block, but they're kind of like hinting like a trade. Don't dismiss the fact that a trade could happen. So I think that there's two ways it plays out. It either plays out in a trade or it plays out in Jonathan Taylor playing for the Colts. Do they have any props lined up on him right now? I wouldn't imagine any books would be crazy enough to do so. Yeah, there there was props, but now it's all taken down. And a lot of that also has to do with the fact that he's not practicing right now because he did have that ankle injury and he had surgery on that ankle. And now we're still hearing in August about the ankle possibly being an issue. So uh, Taylor. Suma, you and Cleve TA have made bull cases for the Colts, and I'm talking about their wide range of outcomes. I'm assuming Taylor is at least a portion of that optimism. How bad would this Colts team be if he doesn't play? Is there any version of the Colts being good without Jonathan Taylor? Oh, yes, absolutely. I think um, that there are a few running backs in the league that actually make a difference uh, in terms of uh, when when they are on or off the field. There are a few guys that consistently get um, yards above expectation, depending on the on the context of the of the play. Um, and it's also about a few defenses maybe biting more on play action, like like linebackers making one false step more. If it's Jonathan Taylor, maybe versus uh, some other guys. Um, there are a few uh, guys in the league that actually have that kind of stigma, but 
if he's not going to play, I don't think that the 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 seasons uh, that the season for the Colts going to be in shambles. I think if he's going to be there, he will help because um, when you think about a, a dual threat run game with Anthony Richardson behind an O line that should be better than last year, you combine that with Jonathan Taylor with a healthy version of Jonathan Taylor, like the guy we saw in 2021. I think that the Colts should have a very lethal rushing attack, which can overall raise the floor for them. But I'm, but I don't think we are talking about uh, Colts winning like two or three games less without him. Yeah, there's this dynamic when you play with a mobile quarterback who linebackers have to account for. Like the Ravens, all their running backs over average over five yards per carry. And like uh, Jalen Hurts made Miles Sanders have a resurgence in his career. Uh, Jeff, I want to ask you. Uh, if Jonathan Taylor misses games because of this injury and he, you know, he's very injured all year, do you make a point spread adjustment when you don't see Taylor in the game? I mean, I would be curious to see how dynamic the Colts could be without him offensively. I've mentioned it would take away what would probably be their best option, which is that dual threat run game, that read option, um, those read option situations. How much is a running back worth to the point spread? You know, we've always sort of debated that. It's not a concern for me right now unless I was, you know, drafting my fantasy league this week, this weekend, and I had one of those picks like four through eight. Now, those are the only people I, I really feel other than Colts fans who who should be, you know, seriously concerned about the timeline we're on because like Bitman said, he is not not playing. All right, Hitman, you you alluded to a potential trade. Is there any team you think that is competitive right now that can go out and say, hey, a Jonathan Taylor trade puts us over the top? You know, you put me on the spot here, but I really don't know because the thing is, is it's like who's going to trade assets valuable enough to get Jonathan Taylor from the Colts and then give him the contract on top of that, you know, like – there's not that many teams out there. I know everybody's going to talk about, oh, maybe the Eagles will do it because that was the whole talk during the draft. Like, oh, imagine if they added Bijan Robinson to this team. But the Eagles, they're, they're too analytically sound. They're not going to give out a contract and picks for a guy like him. So, honestly, it's it's tough to think of a team off the top of my head. Maybe the Chicago Bears would be the team that I think just off the top of my head could maybe do it, but nothing I feel that strongly about. And there is a little bit of history with Matt Eberflus, the head coach of the Chicago Bears. Let's put a pin in it and hope to God that it's not a discussion point next week and this thing resolves itself. I want to talk about uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Suma, a lot of people seem to think the Chiefs defense will be improved a lot this year. Part of that uh, optimism is because of Charles Amenahu, one of the edge rushers that they signed. We now learned that he suspended for six games, how significantly, if at all, do you downgrade the Chiefs' defense while he's out? And how good do you think this defense can be? I don't think that we're going to see a top 10 defense for the Chiefs. Uh, I mean, um, I like their disease, Specs. He's doing some some good stuff, especially as the season progresses and he knows um, what players he's working with. I think that they got a lot of good play from these young cornerbacks last year from like fourth and fifth round picks. But secondary play is in general in general highly volatile. And outside of Chris Jones, they basically had no one going to free agency. I think signing Omenuhu was a 
was a, was a good signing, a good cheap signing. If he doesn't play, um, you're basically looking at last year's first rounder uh, to uh, banking on him uh, to make a major leap. I would downgrade them because as soon as a as a team loses some some edge rush power, um, that's that's never a good idea. But we also or we we should be looking at the Chris Jones situation because. Chris Jones is probably seeking like 24 to 25 million or something. And I'm not sure that the Chiefs are going to pay him that. So an interesting situation. Um, Johnson Taylor will likely going to end up uh, playing, but I would not be surprised if this holdout of uh, Chris Jones will, will linger some longer. Yeah, and he's one of those uh, five defensive players in the league where when he's out, it's going to be noticeable, especially a team like the Chiefs who rely heavily on him and they don't have the greatest supporting cast around them. Uh, one of the big stories coming out of camp is this wide receiver, Justin Ross, who has been a sensation. Now, he was undrafted last year, but I want to give some context. He was an immensely talented player who had serious medical concerns to the point that he might never play football again. And he was all but assured to be a red shirt last year. So, like, with that context out of the way, Jeff, are you buying Justin Ross stock? And do you buy camp hype with guys that are completely unknowns who just blow it up? I mean, with, you know, just because of what goes on there and how they can make stars and they sort of let their biggest receiver leave in order to just you know, to, to free up the salary, to let things happen. Mahomes could make anyone a star. That's what great quarterbacks do. Uh, you know, they'll, you know, maximize those guys. Am I believing the hype? Not to the certain extent, but nothing that goes on there will, will surprise me. They're so great. They've proven to be so great on both sides of the ball. Fabian mentioned how they've been so good at developing young defensive players. But at the same time, they've been so good at developing uh, all parts of their offense, you know, their young players that have filled the gaps when they've had to let some higher price guys go. I I'm in a weird spot here. I don't believe any parts of the chiefs demise at all, at yeah. all. They even like, you know, they get a sixth round guard, Trey Smith, and he just ends up being one of the best guards in football. And, you know, they draft Clyde Edwards Hilaire in the first round, but they get more production out of guys that were like retreads everywhere else or like a seventh round pick like Pacheco. I want to stick with the pass catchers, though. Um, Kadarius Tony sounds like he might be ready for week one. Uh, Hitman, how do you think the division of catches will be distributed in Kansas City? Like, Kelsey's number one, but if you had to put some money down, who do you think are going to develop as the number two and three options moving forward? The player that I'm most confident is locked into his role and will be on the field the most is MVS for them. Now, MVS is not a high target share earner, but he's the guy that I think is going to get a ton of snaps. His role is set. Um, as far as like guys that are going to get the biggest target share, I think probably it would be Sky Moore is going to be in there and in, in the slot, and he'll be the most consistent guy as far as playing week in and out and getting more targets this season. And then uh, when Kadarius Tony's in the game, Last year, his targets per route run was like absolutely insane. Like they were manufacturing a lot of touches to him, but it's a matter of like throughout the whole season is one, how long is this guy going to go without getting injured? How long is he going to go without doing something stupid that gets him in trouble? 
We don't know about that. So it's kind of a wild card. And then you have just so many guys after them. Justin Watson's going to make the team and probably be a, a game day active because he's very valuable to them on special teams. And he plays snaps for them at wide receiver also. So he's probably in. You have Richie James that you just signed. Rashid Rice is obviously going to make the team. He was a second-round pick. So I, I know you were mentioning Justin Ross earlier. It, it's tough to see how he does get into this room. He would have to be really impressive to, to get on the field. And it, it's really a crapshoot, to, to be honest. But the best guess is as far as snaps, locked in roll, MVS. And as far as targets, Sky Moore and Tony would probably have the biggest target share when he's actually in the game. I imagine it's a little like volatile game by game, depending on who Andy Reid wants to pick on. And like, you must be looking at the props board when it opens up and just thinking like, there's, there's a wide range on everybody here. The number can look very appealing uh, and, and also stand no chance if he's just not part of the game plan that week, right? Yeah, but you know, uncertainty is beneficial to the better. It's not beneficial towards the sports books. And there's a lot of ways to take advantage of it. You could take advantage of it pre-flop. If there's some shops that you have, they're offering live betting, player props, during that first game, kind of see how the snaps and the targets are going in game one, maybe have an in-play play. So there, there's a lot of ways to take advantage of the uncertainty in the Kansas City wide receiver room. All right, let's talk about everybody's favorite subject, which are public power rankings. Uh, you know, if you are looking for a headache, just Google uh, Mike Florio's weekly power rankings. I'm convinced he does it just to uh, drive engagement on social media by putting up some insane teams in there. Well, NFL.com put out their power rankings, and let's work with the assumption that they didn't do anything egregious just for the reason of farming engagement. The top 10 is as follows. Kansas City's first, Philadelphia second, San Fran third, Cincinnati's fourth, Buffalo is fifth, Dallas is sixth, Baltimore seventh, the Jets are eight. The Dolphins are ninth. The team I want to talk about, though, are the Jacksonville Jaguars that come in at 10. Suma, are we buying the Jaguars as a top 10 team this year? Yes, I do. I have some. I, I have them rated as a borderline top 10 team. Um, they did not do anything on the defensive side. They basically added no one. But I think we can be pretty sure that this is going to be a good offense. Um, there are some concerns about their offensive line, especially early in the season when Cam Robinson is um, suspended. But I think when you look at the whole corps of, of, of all playmakers and the history of Doug Peterson, I think if there's one guy who can basically manufacture offense around a bad offensive line for maybe six weeks, it's it's uh, Doug Peterson among others. And also Triple Lawrence is very good when it comes to moving around the pocket. So I'm not too much concerned about their offensive line, even though it's going to be a weakness early on in the season. But yeah, I think this, this is going to be a, a very good offense. And that's that's a big part of why I have the Massive Borderline Top 10 team. All right, Jeff, uh, do you agree with Suma or are you uh, not as bullish on the Jacksonville Jaguars this year? I mean, I think they're in that spot where the division will allow them to have a record that will easily solidify or legitimize their power rank, which is fair. They won the playoff game. You expect the quarterback going into year three to take huge leaps. Look at what we saw from 
And it was like the offense is different, but you know, Jalen Hurts takes that enormous leap in year three. Josh Allen, enormous leap in year three. Trevor Lawrence is people who backed the Jags early last year with the spread. We're getting so frustrated, but somewhere along the way, he totally found it. And I believe everything we saw last year continues over. So I have nothing negative to say against the Jaguars. I could see some teams behind them being better, though. Hey, man, do you make it three for three on the Jaguars positivity? Yeah, I, I don't think Jacksonville is a top 10 team, but they're in that they're in the 12, 13 ish range, in my opinion. Yeah, I've got them closer to average. I am not just concerned about the O-line. I think their secondary is very bad. And I get that they're going to have a good offense, but they're going to need to because they may have to score a lot of points to win games. Uh, and of course, this is schedule independent because, you know, when you have a, a soft schedule, you're going to your record's going to be better than perhaps what you are. Let's look at teams outside of their top 10. Um, Suma, was there a team that wasn't in the top 10 that you thought should be? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Chargers. I mean, uh, <laughs> to be honest, I personally don't see a reason why they would rank the Chargers outside of the top 10. I mean, let's just imagine a, a different universe in that uh, Justin Herbert doesn't get injured last year. We're probably looking at a, I don't know, 11, 12 win team. Um, they are getting healthy at offensive line, all pro caliber left tackle. This offensive line from left to right will be very decent, like a borderline top 10 unit, Justin Herbert behind it. They added Quentin Johnson uh, in the draft, who should give them more of that speedy yards of the catch element that they lacked last year. Ken Moore is going to open up the offense. Um, Keen Allen back healthy, um, who also mentioned that uh, Joe Lombardi forced him to play in the slot entirely, and now he gets moved around the formation, uh, pretending about last year. So we are looking at a damn good offense and the defense. I mean, I think that the that the defense and the combination with Brandon Staley was always overrated over the past two years because they didn't really um, get to expectations last year. They were also dealing with some injuries, but I think Staley uh, showed the ability that for every single game in, in, in a certain week, he can come up with a very good game plan, which is uh, pretty useful, especially later in the season. So, yeah, overall, I think this offense is going to be really, really good, and I really don't see how, how they are not a top-10 team going to the season. All right, Jeff, I'm going to challenge you. Is there a team outside of the Chargers that you believe should be in the top 10? If not, then go make your case for the Chargers. Yeah, I don't really see a team that should be in the top 10 other than the Chargers. Why should the Chargers be in the top 10? Well, they have Justin Herbert. The teams in front of them do not. It's essentially the exact same team as last year. That if a year ago, I'd have been running through the wall like hype it like a lot of people hyping this team they, they they broke me i'm still putting the pieces back together but other than swapping out drew tranquil for eric kendricks it's the same team that everyone was so hyped about a year ago if they stay healthy they will be very very good look what they dragged along to 10 wins last year with injuries everywhere including herbert so you know obviously i have um I have a dog in this race, and it is the Chargers. But uh, like they're with Justin Herbert, if they were a top five team this year, would anyone be totally shocked? Probably not. 
I thought you were going to say when you said this is basically the same team, and I thought you were comparing them to the Jaguars, and you are going to say, but with a way better O-line, because uh, I see a lot of similarities, but I like the Chargers quarterback more, and I like their O-line more. Hitman, um, is there a team outside of the Chargers that you believe should be in the top 10? It would be Cleveland for me. Um, obviously, Cleveland, their offensive line is one of the best in the league one of the top running backs. We have a quarterback that although there's uncertainty behind, we can probably project him in being a top 10 to 12 quarterback at least, I would probably say would be my projection for him. Added a lot of receivers. And then the big addition is that they added Jim Schwartz to coordinate this defense along with some of the additions that they made to their defensive line and Dalvin Tomlinson and Zadarius Smith. So for me, it would be Cleveland. Uh, I'm pretty confident, although not by a ton. But um, they're probably only Cleveland's probably only one or two spots ahead of Jacksonville. But I'm pretty confident in saying that I do like Cleveland slightly more than Jacksonville. Yeah, I'm with you. Like if these two teams were playing on a neutral, and I had to pick them, like I'm on Cleveland. There's no question about it. Uh, Cleveland and the Chargers are two teams that I would bring in the top ten. And I would take Baltimore and Jacksonville and give them the boot out of the top 10. I want to talk about the big news of yesterday. Penn has dropped Barstool Sports and partnered with ESPN to launch ESPN Bet, a branded sports book in the U.S. Suma, ESPN is a gigantic name. I don't think uh, I'm being uh, I'm under uh, overstating it when I say that. Are they going to take a chunk of the market share away from FanDuel and DraftKings? Oh, man, that's really tough to say for me. So my understanding is that they basically just bought Barstool Sports. But is, is that correct? So Barstool was uh, basically sold back to Portnoy for no dollars. Um, and they've got uh, contingencies in place where they'll get a piece if he resells it. But also they're not allowed to become a sports book anymore. They're not allowed to take sponsorship money from a sports book. And what, uh, what Penn is going to do is they're going to leverage the name ESPN Bet I'm guessing ESPN, they sign Pat McAfee. They're going to drive um, players towards uh, Penn and ESPN bet, just like they did, like just like uh, he did for FanDuel. Um, right now, like FanDuel and DraftKings have almost 70% of the market share, and I wonder if this is going to be the disruptor uh, to their like conglomerate that they have. I think uh, Hitman will be uh, answering that a lot better than I do. I thought that they are basically buying the sports betting license from Barstool Sportsbook and it's basically just a rebrand of the sportsbook. In that case, I think, yes, they will probably get a, a few more, um, uh, well, a little bit more of the market share, but I'm not sure if they are really able to, to compete. Well, Hitman, you are the only person in the U.S. Did you have experience betting with Barstool Sportsbook? Was it a positive or negative one? And do you anticipate a different experience with ESPN? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much like all the other reg uh, regulatory shops where it, Barstool was using Camby as their odds provider, which is pretty well known with some other sports books, such as Parks, Bet Rivers. And Camby, it, they, they don't like winning betters. So let's just put it that simple. So it was a lot of limiting. It was tough to get down. You could get down, but it was really a hassle to be able to get down at their sports books. So Barstool wasn't a super positive experience. In my opinion, a lot of predatory stuff sent out by them, whether it's on their shows where they're doing the overs club stuff and the lock, the lock parlays, can't lose parlays, all that stuff. 
Um, I anticipate ESPN being – it's probably going to be pretty similar. It's it's just what I'm kind of used to in, uh, in U.S. sports books these days. Not that many are willing to differentiate themselves from the others as far as risk tolerance and all that. Um, I will say that I, I don't think they're going to be able to catch a FanDuel or a DraftKings. I mean, I think that ESPN is probably going to put a lot into this because they paid a lot of money. They're going to dedicate a lot of programming. And when you're watching the the fo- football games and everything, you're going to see stuff about probably live odds at the ESPN Sportsbook and all that. So maybe that does help bring some customers. But remember, this is also a brand that a lot of people are down on ESPN right now, whether it's just the fact that they don't really stick to sports a lot of times. It's really the ESPN's content. You can't find many people that are saying in the year 2023 that they like ESPN's content a lot more than 20 years ago, where they had guys like Stuart Scott, Chris Berman, all those all those great shows. So, for me, I mean, how much how much um, interest do I think it brings people to an ESPN sports book away from FanDuel and DraftKings? Um, I'm really not that sure. All right, then let's look at the bigger picture. Jeff, you are the content guy. You've been doing content for many years. Um, Does this mean more dedicated sports betting programming? Like, you know, ESPN has multiple channels. Are they going to have one channel that's just betting and they're going to program it all day with betting stuff? That that seems very possible. Um, And just to note, Camby doesn't like losing betters either, Mike. They don't like guys haven't hit a golf outright in like two and a half months to make their full stake on a Monday morning either. So uh, winners or losers, they want no part. Um, yeah, I mean, this should be a total change. I think the, the Pat McAfee thing is going to be an engine that sort of drives this big time. But in the big picture, on a smaller scale, we saw Fox try to do this exact same thing. Fox bet. I believe that's been an epic failure already. It, this is just trying to recapture that on a bigger scale, but Cowherd and all those Fox shows on disputed, they'd always be referencing Fox bet even on their Sunday NFL pregame shows. I believe Fox bet was referenced. So just, you know, being putting your name out, your name on it, you know, they leveled up going from barstool to ESPN, but Portnoy rented his company for four years and now he gets it back. The legend of Portnoy really just grows through all of this, in my opinion. You know, uh, it reminds me of when marijuana started getting legalized uh, everywhere, and especially in Canada. Every celebrity you knew came out with their own strand, and uh, they're leveraging their name brand and maybe didn't know the business and understand it. And a lot of them just faded away because they didn't want to learn and understand the business. And your name recognition only takes you so far. Uh, It is preseason time. I know... uh, I don't know about you guys, but last week when I was watching preseason football, it just felt like a big warm hug back in my life again. Uh, I want to take a look at the board right now and see what's out there. I want to start with Hitman because, um, you know, a lot of these lines aren't what they were a few days ago. And people like you are on the forefront of it. Uh, Why don't you talk about the dynamic of like as soon as the uh, line opens, as soon as we get information to where the line is now? I, I think that what you have to do at this point, it, it's it's tough because with preseason and if you're betting this at scale, these lines, it's obviously way lower limits than it is during the regular season. It's not going to take many pops to be able to completely 
just blow up the market. And it's an information-based market for the most part. Yeah, there's some handicapping involved on quarterback rotations and coaches' motivation and all that, but it's an information-driven market. And once this information gets out there, the lines are going to be pretty much – they're going to blow up. So, I mean, we've seen such drastic line moves. I mean, Carolina was plus two and a half at one point. You now see them at minus three and a half. Denver, two and a half to five and a half. Green Bay, one one to five. Uh, the totals have, have moved. There's just a lot of these – a lot of times if you're asking me a day or two before the games and the information's already out there about what's going to happen with starters, there's not going to be plays that I can really recommend. I think that one thing you can maybe do that could possibly be plus EV, maybe look to play against – some of these big releases from services that you think that the lines might have overmoved. Um, I'll give you one. And I, I was on the opposite. I, I gave out and I played Cleveland minus one. And okay. I'm seeing some fours out there. I see three and a half on Washington. I don't hate playing back some of that game personally. We, we know that Watson is going to probably play the first quarter, but Stefanski has come out saying that all four quarterbacks are going to play. So I would read that as probably a quarter for each quarterback. And I, it's not, it's not out there yet that Washington will officially play Sam Howell and their starters, but I anticipate that they do play them maybe for two drives or the first quarter. So I, and I do think that once that does get officially announced, you will see that line maybe go back to three or so. So I think that right now, if you want to fade one of the big moves that uh, taking a nibble on Washington plus four, plus three and a half uh, could be a worthwhile bet. But then also one other thing that you could do to take advantage of stuff is the first half lines don't open up until the day of the game. So around 10, 11 a.m., you'll see a lot of those starting to open. You'll have a new set of virgin lines that you could possibly win on. Yeah, there's like a couple dynamics when I think of preseason football. Like, first of all, you might know who's going to play, but you also don't understand the level of playbook that they're going to show and expose. Some coaches run straight vanilla. Um, I often hear Eric talk about when the Chiefs have a big game the following week, they will often hold back a lot of their playbook the week before. And sometimes they get caught. Like, if you remember the Raiders Monday night football game where they were in a big hole because – they're anticipating next week's bigger opponent. So just because you know the rotation of players, you don't know the degree of the offensive playbook that they're going to expose. The other thing is, like last week, we talked about the Jets steaming, and everybody's like, you know, Zach Wilson's going to play. You might like Zach Wilson more than the uh, starting quarterback for Cleveland in that game, but then you might also like Cleveland's third-string quarterback more than the Jets' third-string quarterback. So they're like looking at it from like derivatives and looking at first half and playing back in the second half are a couple of approaches that work. Jeff, you were talking to me uh, briefly about you were looking at Tennessee uh, at plus three and a half. What what goes behind that line of thinking? Is it straight? Hey, they've got three quarterbacks in the building. Uh, two of them are competing for the backup role, and they're probably both going to want to show up and show out in Will Levis and Malik Willis? You know, I actually was leaning. Uh, it was the Bears that I was leaning to there. Like, just if I had to, was forced to make a pick, Eber, I guess it would be the dumbest reason. I have no money on this game. Uh, I do like their rotation better. 
like with a Philip Walker and a Nathan Peterman, Eberflus was three and zero in last year's preseason, which isn't a large sample size at all. But maybe he's one of these culture preseason coaches versus a guy like um, Vrabel, who we totally know, would know what to expect from him in a preseason. Although the Titans have a, maybe a different mindset this year, it would be a lean to the Bears, not a play. But those are sorts of things like it's like QB rotation. And what can you garner from this coach? And the lines have already moved, so I miss the fun. I, I, I will not be touching it. All right, Suma, I want to ask you about uh, preseason betting and if it's something that you get involved in. I know in the regular season when a narrative gets out there and the public is very well aware of it, the line off it uh, 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 honestly fades a little too too far. I mean, it's, it, unless you've been living under a rock, uh, everybody knows the Baltimore Ravens uh, just win every preseason game for like eight years now. And they're, uh, you know, going to try to continue the streak and they love it because of that. Do you ever see like, uh, do you look at preseason today? Man, this line is just simply inflated because the narratives out there like Baltimore's a six point favorite. You usually don't see lines that big in the preseason. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows that like uh, every preseason since like 2018, uh, starts with the good old John Harbour streak, like 14 games, now 17 games, 21, 24. So I think that um, with that kind of market, um, there could be some decent inflation. Absolutely. You still got to look at all the information out there, like um, what are the Eagles saying in terms of who are they going to play? Um, but yeah, I think that these are the kind of situations where line might actually overmove. And if you think, Six points are too are too many. You are probably going to end up playing the Eagles here. You know, um, oftentimes when you hear like when the public starts getting a whiff of anything, it's a little too far. Like you hear with stocks, when someone starts floating uh, the name Bitcoin uh, at twenty five thousand or thirty thousand uh, dollars, and they haven't been aware of this thing for three four years, it's like okay, uh, it's too late. Like the info's been out there. So for me, when the uh, when some of the worst betters in my group chat start to tell me about trends, I'm like, okay, it's arrived to that level of audience. Okay, the narrative's yeah. out there. The line has leaked. Um, the, the value town is gone here. Uh, listen, that's it for us. Uh, I want to thank you guys for joining us. And uh, I want the people out there to keep uh, keep watching every uh, Wednesday at 2 p.m. We're going to be doing these live shows, bringing you up to date with the latest news and the market moves and what they mean for the bigger favor. Uh, do us a favor, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, and leave some feedback of what you liked or didn't like today and any questions you may have in the future. Also, um, do yourself a favor, set some notifications because you won't want to miss this content every week. We'll be back next week, the same time until next time.